Good morning, everyone. We're going to be studying the temptation of Christ today. And if you'll remember, Christ encounters three different temptations. There's a temptation for food, temptation to jump off the temple, and then a general kind of powerful temptation at the end. So I've selected a joke that corresponds to each of these temptations. Let's start with the food joke. So they say that inner peace is achieved by finishing what you started. So today I finished a donut, a bag of potato chips, and three milkshakes. I feel more inner peace already. Now jumping off a high place. So there was a window washer and he was on the 44th floor washing windows. He was very proud, but not a very bright man because he took a step back to admire his work. Finally, the general temptation. So I never make the same mistake twice. I make it five or six times just to make sure it was wrong. So I hope you enjoy those jokes. Let's say a prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who resisted temptation in the wilderness. We're thankful that he saw the Satan's traps as just a temporary appeal uh, and something that he didn't want. We pray that we could similarly recognize Satan's temptation for the temporary trap that it is. And we could instead put our full faith and trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, before we get started here, I have some sources, a couple of paintings, one by Sir Frank Dixie, one by Ivan Kermovsky, and then I uh, looked at two commentaries by Jack Lewis, one by Robert Mounts, and then a special thanks to Ko, he's one of our students, who produced a wonderful coloring sheet about the temptation of Christ for our mission trip that I'm going to use quite a bit in this. So, before we get into it i want us to look at a few questions uh, so you have an idea as we're reading the text we're going to be reading from the esv today from matthew 4 chapter 1 through 11. it's matthew 4 chapter 1 through 11 in the esv if you've got an esv read from that if not niv will also work the questions that we're going to be looking for at are what do the devil's temptations have in common what do all three temptations have in common what do Jesus' responses have in common? And then finally, what can we learn about resisting temptation while in isolation? I want you to be thinking about that as we're reading. Let's go ahead and read the text now. When Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, and after 40 days of fasting, 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the temple and said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest your foot strike against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, 
Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. So, what do the devil's temptations have in common, all three of them? Well, they offer an unrealistic, temporary benefit of sin. They all offer an unrealistic, temporary benefit of sin. Secondly, what do Jesus' responses have in common? Jesus, every time, affirms a biblical trust in God. And then what can we learn about resisting temptation while in isolation? The devil tempts us by offering us an unrealistic, temporary benefit of sin, just like he did to Jesus. And we must respond, just like Jesus, with biblical trust in God. This is one of my favorite pictures of Jesus. This is Christ in the wilderness. And uh, why I like it so much is it's very human, right? It's definitely highlighting Christ's human side. You can see him. He's just a man. He's in the wilderness, and he's hungry. He looks alone. He's isolated, and he looks very vulnerable to temptation. Can you identify with that, Jesus? I know I can identify with this Jesus portrayed here. I want to make a disclaimer, too, before I start preaching. We're going to be dealing with some pretty heavy stuff today. And I want you to know that I am not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you, alongside you. Uh, these are things that I struggle with, too, right? I'm a human. I mess up all the time. Uh, I'm not like Jesus. I fall into temptation. That's why I'm preaching these things. So. I hope you know that I'm right there with you. So let's take a look at the first temptation. The devil says to Jesus, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, this one is pretty clear to us. Satan is tempting Jesus with an unrealistic, temporary benefit of food. He says, A full stomach is more important than a full spirit. To feast is better than to fast. Now, the usual way that we talk about this story is that Jesus stayed safe from temptation because he read his Bible. And that's true. Scripture does help us to resist temptation. However, you know, I read my Bible a lot. And I still say, well, why do I still fall into temptation? Maybe if you are, or some of you are in that same category. Well, it's not just reading the Bible here. Jesus also has a deep trust and faith in God. And when he responds, he responds to devil with scripture. It's true. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he's quoting the Exodus story, the wilderness wandering, where God provided for the children of Israel while they were in the wilderness by giving them manna and water from the rock and a few other things. So Jesus has a trust here based on scripture that God is going to take care of him and get him through this fast. And that's how he combats Satan's temptation. So Jesus trusts God in the midst of extreme hunger. You know, many times when we're applying this to our lives, we kind of allegorize or we make these temptations abstract. And people will say things like the first temptation is hedonism, the second is egoism, and the third is materialism. Or the first is property, the second is prestige, and the third is power. These are all good points. However, for us in isolation today, I think we can take this literally. We can take it more literally than usual. 
So for application today, how about literal fasting? You're naturally in isolation right now. It's a pretty good time to fast. We have more control over our eating schedules. We don't have any meetings with clients. Nobody's around us as much as we're eating. So this could be a good time to fast. I want you to consider it. Uh, here are some tips, some practical tips. First, start with a small meal. Uh, I find lunch is the easiest one to fast. Second, fill the usual meal time with prayer and Bible study. It makes it more purposeful. Thirdly, give the money you would spend on food that day on food for the poor. This is getting to the real heart of fasting in Isaiah 58. He says, really, the purpose of fasting is to break the chains and to help the poor. I also want to mention consult a doctor if you're planning on fasting more than two days. Jesus fasted 40 days, that's true, but he was probably a very experienced faster. Uh, a lot of times people start to get sick and die around 40 days. So Jesus is really pushing the limits with his fast here. Also, if you have kids or you're on medication, consider some kind of modified fast, right? Uh, a lot of people have some health that doesn't allow them to fast. Uh, maybe you can fast from something else, uh, or maybe you could just do a bread fast or something like that. Uh, also, I want to throw in, this is not a fast to lose weight. Right? This is a fast to get connect with God and also to grow our compassion for the poor. All right, let's move on to the next temptation, temptation number two. The devil says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest your foot strike against a stone. Now, this one's a little bit harder for us to understand. The first one we can understand pretty well. Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days, so he's very tempted by food. And we understand that after 40 days of not eating, some fresh baked Jesus bread sounds really, really delicious, right? But uh, for this one, well, why would Jesus want to jump off the temple? That doesn't make any sense. That just sounds like a dumb decision, right? However, when you know a little bit more about Jewish culture at this time, uh, it makes more sense. There's a number of prophecies talking that when the Messiah comes, he will reappear in the temple. And there's also a rabbinic source that says that when the Messiah comes, he's going to stand on the pinnacle of the temple and rays of light are going to emanate from him and all people are going to see him and believe. So really the temptation here that the devil is giving Jesus is reveal yourself now, right? Do the right thing, say the right thing, but do it in the wrong way and do it in the wrong place and do it at the wrong time. Do it right now. He's giving Jesus this unrealistic expectation of fame, right? So think about this too. The devil is so clever. Think about if he won in this situation. If Jesus does this and he jumps off the temple, one of two things is going to happen. Either it's going to work or it's not going to work, right? Let's think about if it doesn't work. He jumps off the temple and he's dead. If Jesus jumps off the temple and dies, then guess what? All of the universe is affected. He dies. We all die. There's no cross. We all still die in our sins. That's a lose for Jesus. Let's think if Jesus jumps off the temple and in fact the angels do catch him and they lift him up and his feet don't strike against a stone. 
also a lose for Jesus. Why? Everybody worshiping in the temple sees him flying up in the air. They all believe in him. They all tell King Herod. Herod finds out about it. And he sees Jesus as the Messiah. He knows he's a threat. He has Jesus executed early. Once again, Jesus doesn't go to the cross. He doesn't fulfill all the prophecies. We all still die in our sins. It's a lose-lose for Jesus, and it's a lose-lose for us. Thankfully, Jesus is not stupid, though. He recognizes this unrealistic temptation for fame, for what it is. And instead, he says, it is also written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus trusted God enough to reject the temporary fame and trust God to lift him up, not from the pinnacle of the temple, but at the crucifixion. So when we're thinking about application for today, what can we learn from this? Well, I think this is a great example that we shouldn't say the right thing in the wrong place at the wrong time. We shouldn't say the right thing, but in the wrong place at the wrong time. I think this temptation is particularly acute during COVID-19. There's a lot of important things happening in our country and in our world right now. There's important decisions being made that affect our health and affect our lives in a big way. And we have opinions about them and we want to share them, right? But we're not always sharing them in the right time or the right way. I remember there's one of my friends in Nashville. I know her a little bit. Uh, she's, I played volleyball with her probably four or five times and she's been posting some really controversial biblical stuff on Facebook. And I kind of say, well, I'm, I'm a Bible guy and I need to correct this. Right. So I was about halfway through a five paragraph essay about why she was wrong. And then I stopped and I thought, wait a second, you know, I don't really know this young lady that well. Is this actually going to persuade her? Right. Or am I doing this for some other reason? Am I just doing this to make myself look smart and look cool? And if that's the case, then this is just cyberbullying for Jesus, which is contradiction in terms. So I deleted it. If I really care this much about this issue, right, I could give her a phone call or uh, some other way. You know, I can't meet with her in person because of COVID-19. So I think this is a real problem right now. Uh, we have a lot of things that we want to share but make sure you're not sharing it. Uh, if you share it, don't share it in the wrong place and the wrong time. Even if it's the right thing, it could still have a negative effect. Now let's look at the final temptation. So the final one, the devil says to Jesus, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So now the devil has dropped all pretense. In the words of Vampire Weekend, the gloves are off, the wisdom teeth are out. The devil pushes all his chips to the center of the table, and he's offering Jesus everything and nothing at the same time. He's saying, if you will betray the Father who loves you, and you will accept an enemy and be a slave to an enemy who hates you, then I will give you everything. So he's offering Jesus everything, but also nothing at all. Now think about what would happen if Jesus accepts this. Well, he would be the undisputed puppet king of the entire earth. Right? 
he would have anything he wants in this life for about 30 to 50 more years. And then he would die and go to hell. And we would also all die and go to hell and be dead in our sins. Once again, this is a lose-lose for us, and it's a lose-lose for Jesus. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't do that, right? Uh, another thing I want to point out, this word pipto. So your translations where it says, uh, it may say bow down and worship me, right? ESV says fall down and worship me. I really like that. So this word does mean bow down. It means to fall prostrate before someone, literally. However, it also has some other meanings. It can mean like a building when it's crumbling and it falls down. It can mean when you fall under the possession of a demon and you fall down. Uh, it can also mean uh, when you fall down dead suddenly. It also has, most importantly, the connotation of falling from a state of righteousness. So you can say here when the devil says, if you will only fall down and worship me, he's also saying, if you will only downfall and worship me. If Jesus goes with the devil here, and falls down and worships him, it's the downfall of Jesus, and it's the downfall of the entire universe. But thankfully, Jesus does not fall down in front of, Je in front of the devil. Instead, he says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus chooses to trust God and worship only him. So, as we're looking at applying this to our own lives, I think we can see a process here for temptation. Let's take a look at the process that the devil uses for Satan. Firstly, he says, if you're the son of God, do this little bad thing. Turn these stones into bread. Then secondly, the next step, he says, if you're the son of God, you can do this good thing, but do it in a bad way. Second temptation. Then finally, hey, you don't want to be the son of God anymore. I can give you more. Just forget about God and worship me. Have you ever been in this process? Has the devil ever said to you, just do this little bad thing, right? You're a son of God. He'll forgive you. It's fine. You can get away with it. Or the other one, hey, just do this good thing, but do it in the wrong way, in the way that will hurt some people. And then finally, Hey, you don't want to be a child of God anymore, right? He's not giving you everything you want. Maybe he's not even real. Just forget about him. Follow me. Have you ever encountered that temptation from the devil? I know that I have, and Jesus did too. But we can resist that. There are times in our lives when we just have to say, Be gone, Satan. And that's what Jesus did, and that's what we can do as well. I wanted to include here some just random resources. This doesn't directly apply to the temptation of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit just kind of put these things on my heart. Firstly, I think in this time of isolation, some people may be thinking about ending their own life. If that's the case, talk to somebody immediately. Here's the number for the National Suicide Hotline. Or if it's not an emergency and you just need, you're feeling lonely, depressed, like, why is life even going on right now? Call a brother or sister from the church, right, if it's not an emergency. If it's an emergency, call the National Suicide Hotline. you got to talk to somebody, right? Uh, secondly, 
I think some people might be struggling with inappropriate images online. If that's the case, also you need to talk to somebody. Here's Mid Valley Fellowship. There's their telephone number right there. Uh, and we have two resources. We also have a men's group at Circle Church of Christ. So if you're struggling with this, I encourage you to talk to somebody, right? Talk to somebody. Uh, and there's my email. If you want to uh, get in contact with me, I can connect you with people from this group. I want you to take a second. I'm going to leave this screen up. If anybody needs to take a picture or a screenshot of those resources or write down the numbers, uh, do so. I just had it on my heart to do that. So. And I finally wanted to end with saying, hey, you're not alone in temptation. Jesus went through temptation. We all go through temptation. If you're facing something, if you're struggling, let someone know. Don't try and do this alone. Right. So finally, to end the sermon, I want to... Well, I want you to think about this question. Why does God give us these times of temptation when we're in isolation? Well, the answer that I came up with this, this week was God gives us temptation during times of isolation so that we can prepare for when we face temptation when we're out of isolation in community. Right? So he prepares us in the wilderness for what we're going to face later in life. And that's true for Jesus, too. God prepared Jesus in the wilderness for what he was going to face on the road to the cross. I want to bring out a few points here. So in Matthew chapter 16, you'll remember Jesus tells his disciples, hey, I got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified by the Jewish leaders. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And Peter takes him aside and says, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. When Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, that is the exact same word he uses when he in the temptation in the wilderness, when he says, be gone, Satan. Get behind me, be gone. Same word. So Peter was giving Jesus the same temptation right then that he experienced in the wilderness. He was, Peter was saying, hey, Jesus, you don't have to die. You can be a king in this world. No, no, you don't need to die. Don't do that. And Jesus says, no. No, no, I've heard that one before. Get behind me, Satan. That temptation is from the devil. I've already faced it. I've already overcome it. Secondly, Jesus experienced physical hunger when he was on the cross. We know that Jesus hung on the cross from 9 a.m. in the morning until 3 p.m. at night, about six hours or so. He also probably didn't eat very much during the trial process. We know he was thirsty and he was probably hungry. So, you know, he was ready for that, though, because in the wilderness, God prepared him. He went 40 days without eating, and he probably wasn't drinking too much either. So in that time, in the wilderness, God prepared him physically for what he was going to endure on the cross. And then finally, for the last one, let's go to the foot of the cross. You remember Jesus is hanging on the cross, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law walk past. Do you remember the insult that they hurl on him? They say, if you're the son of God, come down off that cross and prove it. If you're the son of God, 
do this, right? This is the same temptation that the devil gave Jesus when he was on the top of the temple. He said, if you're the son of God, jump down off the temple. Now, Jesus wasn't about to jump off the temple and he wasn't about to jump off the cross because he knew that he had to remain on that cross so that we could be saved. The devil offered Jesus a feast, but Jesus accepted a fast. The devil offered Jesus, he said, jump off and have the angels pick you up and lift you up off the pinnacle of the temple. But instead, Jesus was lifted up on the cross for our salvation. And finally, the devil offered Jesus all the crowns of the world if he would bow down and worship him. But instead, Jesus accepted a crown of thorns and worshiped God alone. You see, Jesus, he was prepared in the wilderness for the cross. He was prepared in the wilderness so that we might have salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for saying no to temptation and saying yes to my salvation and all of our salvation. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be on all God's people. Amen.